0: I graduated with a total of about $28,000 in federal loans. And because I chose to pay less and build up my savings account and pay down other higher interest debt, that balance hasn't really changed over the last 10 or so years. And now that I
1: want to make a career change, I feel stuck. I am 35 years old and I just started paying off my student loans of $60,000, which I took out over 10 years ago.
0: When I think about planning for the future, I feel trapped by my student loans. This is Money Confidential, a podcast from Real Simple about our money stories, struggles, and secrets. I'm your host, Stephanie O'Connell Rodriguez, and today we're talking to a 29-year-old listener from Queens, New York we're calling Elaine, not her real name.
1: So I went to a private university. I got the maximum amount of government student loans, which when I went to school was about 28000 maybe 30000 I don't remember. And then I still had to cover the rest of it. With private loans. Um, but the total amount that I left school with was just over 100000 in private loans in, in addition to the $30,000 in government student loans. So it's been a <laughs> <this> really sucks. <laughs>
0: Some 44.7 million Americans have student loan debt. Collectively, Americans owe over $1.71 trillion in student loan debt alone. But despite that shared experience, facing down the entirety of your own student loan balance can feel totally isolating and overwhelming.
1: You know, I graduated college in 2013, so it's been a long time. I remember that six month kind of like post-graduation date coming up and they're like, you got to start paying them now. It was really, really terrifying, especially because I had family members, close family members who also took on a huge amount of student loan debt and ended up not paying them. I was lucky enough to have money that I could pay them a little bit at first and then start paying them more. But it is really, really daunting. It kind of felt like I was never going to be able to do anything else but pay these loans it's just such a burden. Like, I, I, that's the only thing I can – way to describe it is a burden.
0: The burden of student loan debt, as Elaine described it, has grown disproportionately over the last several decades. Among the class of 2019 college students, 69% took out student loans, graduating with an average debt of $29,900. Twenty years earlier, in 1999, undergraduates left college with an average student loan debt of just $16,030. Even after adjusting for inflation, the average Average student loan debt at graduation has increased 326% since 1970 as college tuitions have risen. But despite the fact that significantly more young people today hold a bachelor's degree, millennials are earning 20% less adjusted for inflation than baby boomers did at the same life stage.
1: So now I pay for my private loans, I pay $1,300 a month for those I think I refinanced them at the end of twenty eighteen, so two and a half years ago, because I had gotten a big raise and I could make a bigger payment to pay them off faster. But before that, it was like six or seven hundred dollars a month for the first like six years out. It was out of school, and then now it's been thirteen hundred.
0: Eight years of seven to thirteen hundred dollars mm-hmm. a month.
1: Yeah, plus the government loans on top of that, which thankfully the pandemic has like put those on zero percent interest or whatever, so we haven't been paying them, but. I have my husband's, too, who has the same amount. That's another 30000 on top of my 30000 So it's a lot of money. Tell
0: me a little bit about the first time you talked about your student loan debt with your husband.
1: The biggest fight we ever got in was about his student loans because I found out that he hadn't been paying them for a year. He just didn't make the payments because he was making a lot less than I was, but I was really frustrated because at the time I was, I had like my day-to-day job and then I was making a lot of money as a freelancer and I could have easily covered those payments for that year. And it was before we were married, but I was like, I am terrified of doing anything with you because your financial position is like your credit score is super low now. Like all that kind of stuff, like, you know, it's like a big snowballing effect, are
0: there any things you
1: wish you'd done differently or money mistakes you feel you made? Well, I could say going to college, but I don't necessarily think that that's true. I knew how much money I was taking on, but I was also aware of the fact that if I didn't go to college, I wouldn't leave my hometown and I wanted bigger things. So I wanted to move to New York. I wanted to live here and this job doing whatever i wanted to do when i was 17 years old like i knew that it was going to be a lot of money to take on but i also knew that i didn't really have a choice at least i felt like i didn't really have a choice it sucks that that's kind of the system that we were in i graduated high school in 2009 middle of the recession all that kind of stuff and it was kind of a gamble anyway to be like, well, am I go- is there going to be anything on the other side of this anyway? It ended up making sense and being okay. But at the time, is that a smart decision for a 17-year-old to make? I mean, $100,000 in debt. Even if I was to take on that much now at 29, I'd be like,
0: well, I don't know about that. It's really painful to be spending that much money every single month that is going toward your past and not your future. I wonder what that feels like and what concerns that brings up
1: for you? I think now that we've gotten to a place where we can do both, pay for everything, our debt and all that stuff, and start we've started to save for our, our future, that's what makes me feel more optimistic now is that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, it's only been a few months that we've been doing this, but it's honestly exciting to put it towards something. You know what I mean? Like having Uh, net worth or something. I mean, though technically it's still negative because of our debt, but like having accounts that have money in them is really nice as opposed to money that I owe. But still I'm like, is it enough? I'm always afraid that I'm not going to have enough basically for the future. And this is a big problem for me. Like in general, it's like, am I going to have enough for this house that I really want? Am I going to, after that, have enough to have kids? Am I going to have enough to live after I retire? Like all that stuff. It's a constant that's just like my personality is like always worried about five to ten years from now and especially with money. So I don't know.
0: Elaine's anxiety around her student loans and finances in general is also not unique. A 2018 study found that 74% of millennials feel daily stress related to their student loan debt, with many reporting that their student loans have a significant impact on their ability to meet their other financial goals. From saving for retirement, to buying a home, to having children, many millennials report putting off major milestones because of their student loan debt. If you were to have a setback... That meant that you couldn't pay off your loans by your target date. What would that mean to you?
1: It would be really heartbreaking because it kind of like feels like a domino effect because I can't do everything at once. I can't save for this house and have a kid.
0: I do wonder, though, if there is something about challenging the notion that it's a dominoes. these milestones, paying off the debt, the house, the kids, versus is there a way in which these
1: things exist in tandem. I think I get that. I want it to be done with. I want the debt especially to be done with. I'm sick of it. And I think when that giant debt, my student loan debt is paid off, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going like to throw a party of epic proportions. I think you should.
0: Like- <laughs> I think you should. I know you talked about like having a party if your student loans were paid off, but how would you feel?
1: Like I would accomplished a really hard thing. Um, really proud. I was just thinking about like sitting in my mom's office in her house and I just remember her, you know, sitting there with me and like trying to make this thing happen because that's all I wanted was to go to school and go to New York and, um, you know, get a job and film. I wanted to be a screenwriter. She had been told by one of my teachers at school who did not like me very much. She told my mother that it was a waste of money to send me to college because it was, I was, you know, wouldn't be successful basically. Um, And my mom basically told her off and was like, You're just ignorant and stupid and yourself, and you have no idea what you're talking about. You don't know my kid and all that stuff. And my mom was determined to, my parents, both my parents were determined to let me do what I wanted to do.
0: And so paying off that debt is a vindication of that. Yeah. You think your mom's going to be <laughs> really excited?
1: Yes, she is. I think I it would be really cool, I guess. I don't know. Just like very basically just very relieving, be very cool, feeling very lucky that I was able to do it and, um, you know, at all, let alone in such a short amount of time, <laughs> 10 years after the fact. I just, I'm really looking forward to that day. Can have one of those headlines like I paid off a hundred, whatever, thousand dollars in six years or whatever it is. Yeah, and my parents didn't do it for me, and I pay my own rent and all that stuff. I think that's the other thing too. Like, big thing I struggled with when I first started working in New York was not understanding where the money comes from for other people. My first job was at the New York Times in the newsroom. And I just remember going, meeting all these people who, A, I didn't realize were in their mid-30s. I was 21 when I started working there. And I thought everyone was like 25. They all looked so beautiful and young and talented. And then you start to like know them better. And they come from family money or they, you know, have been just older and have been working for a long time and all that kind of stuff. So that was one of the biggest, most important things I learned that like, My story isn't the same. I'm from a really small town and a really small family that doesn't have a lot of, you know, family money or anything like that. So it is a big deal to do what I've done, to go to college, to pay it off, to live here. That, too, is a big deal for me, not just like the one singular thing of paying off my loans, but the life that I've created over the last 10 years, I think, will be something to celebrate, too, not just... Making that final payment.
0: (laughs) After the break, we talked to a personal finance expert who paid off over six figures of her own debt, her recommended strategies for Elaine, and anyone else doing the same.
2: one, I had $100,000 in credit card debt alone. I paid it all off in three years. When I got out of grad school at USC in Los Angeles, I had $40,000 in student loans. It took me over a decade to pay off my college loans. And believe me, I was not born with a silver spoon in my mouth at all, okay? My mom was a secretary. My dad was a shine man. So in my family, very little means and Loans is how I finance my college education, especially my graduate school education.
0: Lynette Kalfani-Cox is a personal finance expert and author of 15 books, including the New York Times bestseller, Zero Debt, The Ultimate Guide to Financial Freedom. So I want to take this back a little bit because student loans don't start at graduation. They start before college. And I want to talk a little bit about what are the things we should be thinking about when we're making decisions about our education and how much to invest in it.
2: Well, there's a lot to take into account before you sign on the dotted line and agree to use a loan of any kind to finance higher education. But unfortunately, a lot of us we make these choices when we're essentially like 18 years old. So, among the things that people should take into consideration before they finance uh, college education, is what the expected returns are going to be in terms of their own career path. So I do think it makes sense to have loans, if you absolutely need them, that are commensurate with what your salary expectations will be. Uh, The tricky part is that we know that most folks, especially in their early 20s, once they graduate from college, tend to vastly Overestimate what their starting salaries will be, and they also underestimate what their beginning household bills will be.
0: I think the framework of thinking about our education as an investment that needs to have a commensurate return is not something I ever heard before going to college. It was like, go to the best school you get into, and somehow it's going to magically work itself out. Another thing that I see a lot of professionals dealing with right now, especially in the pandemic, is thinking about going to get their master's degree or go back to graduate school and considering whether it's worth the cost. And I do fear that some of it comes from this idea of I don't know what else to do.
2: Yeah, I think I agree with you. Some people, like you say, who are, you know, in their 20s or 30s really might be kind of stuck or feeling like, oh, is there something better than what I have been doing or, you know, I've tried this out and I didn't really like it as much and I don't really have the knowledge or the background that I need. I want to try something new. So maybe I should go to graduate school, but Oh, by the way, it's going to cost me a small fortune to go ahead and get that advanced degree. So I do see that a lot as well. And I do think it's in part due to people wanting something different in terms of challenge, a shift, or some level of satisfaction because they might feel like, eh, I, I kind of tried this and this is what I thought I wanted when I was like 18, 20 years old. You know, now I'm 30 and I'm like, this this is not quite it. So I, I want people to be mindful that it, you don't automatically have to have an advanced degree for every line of work in every profession.
0: In this episode, we were talking to a listener that we're calling Elaine. But one thing that came up in my conversation with her is just how vivid that feeling was for her six months after graduation date when that first student loan payment came due, and just the fear and overwhelm at that moment. So what are your strategies for managing just the total enormity of those kinds of numbers and feelings?
2: Well, the emotional side is one thing, and then the financial side is another. Let's deal with the emotional first. From an emotional standpoint, I want people to not feel overwhelmed and to realize that they're not alone. I do feel that in general it's worth it to get a a college degree, but I do feel like part of it is a little bit of a reckoning to think about the ways in which we've sold the American dream, right? Mm. And part of the American dream is, I want a house, or I want to go to college, or I want to send my kid to college. And those are great, lofty, aspirational goals. And I think that they're great goals. But we really do have to be honest about the fact that on the other side of those goals is debt. Because most people cannot afford to buy a house in cash outright. Most people cannot afford to write a check for tuition outright in cash. And if you're trying to tackle this now when you're kind of 20s to 40s, know that it is surmountable. The second thing I would say is from an emotional standpoint is you have to focus on the stuff that you can control. Mm -hmm. So sometimes debt itself, the overwhelm that people feel is often tied to the powerless Feelings, Or the feeling like, geez, this, there's just so much up in the air, so much I can't do. So, you know, again, take a deep breath, kind of emotionally do a reset and understand that you're going to approach the problem in a methodical step by step manner, kind of thinking about what you can do, what you can control and the stuff that is within your purview that's you know not based on the economy or on the stock market or you know, what others might do, et cetera, take a deep breath, pause, and say, OK, I'm going to conquer this. What do I need to do? And then that leads us to the practical and the tactical, some of the strategies around financially getting your arms around your debts. So step one for a lot of people is to actually tally up what they owe. Some people have no idea how much they owe. They just know I signed because I wanted to be in school. And so you need to understand, you need to first go to the Department of Education, check out their website. It basically lets you log into their system and they'll show you at the federal level every student loan that you borrowed and they'll show you the status of it. Is it in deferment? Is it in forbearance? Anything past due, you know, for any private student loans, you want to reach out to your loan servicing agent. Again, find out what the tally is and what the total is. You're going to write it all down. You're going to type it, put it on your spreadsheet, use your software program, budgeting uh, software tool, et cetera, of your choice. But you're going to just know what the numbers are in black and white. No guesstimating, right? Then after that, you're going to see what your payment plan options are. What are your repayment plan options? Certainly at the federal level, there's a variety, but they kind of all fit into one of kind of four buckets. There's the standard loan repayment program, which is the one that they really steer most people or everybody into unless you change it. And that's to let you pay off your student loans in 10 years. In addition to that, there's the graduated loan repayment program. There's an extended loan repayment program. Again, those stretch them out over time. 20 years, 25 years, some could potentially be 30 years. And I know people hate to hear that because they're like, I don't want to be paying anything for you know 20 or 30 years. But if you want to have smaller loan payments in the short run, get a little relief for yourself financially, maybe because your income is lower right now, et cetera, you can choose to have one of those payment plans where you extend your payments over time. Trade-off there is to know that, yes, you're going to be paying more in interest Over time but your monthly payments um, in the short run will be smaller and so that might feel a little better for people in terms of cash flow the fourth sort of rough category is around income based or income contingent loan repayment options and again these are all based on your federal student loan options you want to reach out to your lender again on the private student loan side those tend to be a little more standardized a little more rigorous Um, which is why I said before that you want to know what you're signing up for in the beginning. So from a strategic and kind of a tactical standpoint, you're going to figure out what you owe. You're going to see your loan options and then you're going to assess like what plan makes sense for you. Right. And if you really know like, okay, well, it's just that I'm new in my career and I do have a job but um, you know, I don't get paid a ton of money and I have a lot of other bills because I'm in some new city or I'm just starting out, then uh, one of those loan repayment programs that's tied to your income actually might make sense because you get to kind of scale it over time. As your income rises, so do your uh, monthly payments. And so that's good for a lot of people. But again, you're gonna assess and see what kind of makes the most amount of sense for you. I think you wanna really start looking at your budget and your overall kind of spending plan of action in a holistic way, right? You want to think about like, what am I just on the regular spending my money on? I tell people, think about windfalls again, as another strategy. What's a windfall? It's any sort of unexpected or lump sum uh, of money outside of your normal paycheck. So if you get a, a government stimulus check, if you get a tax refund check, if you get a bonus on the job, Even if you get a raise and you want to direct that towards your student loans, all of those things using that extra, uh, quote unquote, you know, extra money to pay down college debt is a good thing. And you'll be really super glad that you did.
0: Now, I know when we're talking about maybe a more aggressive repayment strategy or even just trying to keep up with student loan payments in general, there's also trying to balance it against saving for the future, both saving for retirement and saving for life, the life we want to live and the milestones we want to achieve. And I'm wondering how you suggest people balance those two things.
2: Well, I am often asked, which one should I do first? Like, should I Mm -hmm. pay off my debts? Whether that's student loan debt or credit card debt, or should I save first? The answer is you really have to do both. (laughs) And the two are not mutually exclusive. So it behooves you to go ahead and pay down debt incrementally if that's the most feasible way for you to do that. But at the same time, those who don't save at all. They miss out on two things. One is that they don't develop the muscles or the skill sets that you develop just by getting into the habit of saving. And so I like to see people sort of use that savings muscle and get used to saving, increase it over time when it's possible, and know that you're making progress in a really great way just by getting into the act of saving, into the habit of it. So the savings component is crucial because you do want to be able to have resources or assets to be able to deal with emergencies and unexpected events. You want that savings to be able to grow for you over time. And you wanna chip away at the debt, even that student loan debt, so that it doesn't compound over time in terms of interest and accruing the balance is getting larger and larger. And I'll tell you what else, Stephanie, certainly for people of color, like myself, obviously I'm African-American, it's really crucial that we manage our student loan obligations in a really uh, smart and strategic way because we know that from an economic standpoint, um, African-Americans in general have lower incomes compared to our white counterparts. 20 years after the average African-American graduates from college, they still owe 95% of their college debt. Versus white Americans who went to college, they typically owe about 6% of their student loans 20 years later. So I just point out that disparity because frankly, most people do not think that they will have the student loan debt or will carry it for as long as they actually do. And
0: one of the things that came up in my conversation with Elaine is she does want to buy land and build a house, which is a wealth building asset. And it's something that she definitely really connects to value-wise in a way that some other people, when they talk about buying a house, it's like they're trying to check a box. But for her, it's it's quite clear that it, it it's in alignment for her. But there's this feeling that she can't really make progress toward that goal until the loans are paid off. And it feels, in her words, that her life is on hold until she becomes debt-free. And to your point about the extended timeline that people have student loans for, especially people of color, women, that's just not realistic. So how do we Balance living our lives with this student loan debt burden.
2: I really would encourage people like her and your other listeners to understand that for the vast, vast, vast majority of the population, it's not going to be possible to do it like sequentially, right? If you only wait until you do one goal and 100% conquer that goal, then you go to the next thing and then the next. You'll push your timeline out so far for reaching so many other goals that it probably won't be as much satisfaction, utility or just sort of happiness in terms of having achieved the goal. So, again, I encourage people to kind of reframe and to think about how they can do things in a way that is positive, possible and practical for them simultaneously. So, what can they leverage in terms of what they're doing right now? How can they make their dollars count for them right now? If you have not yet um, signed up for your employer's uh, retirement savings program on the job, 401k, 403b, 457, you know, depending on the type of work that you do, et cetera, and your employer is offering a match of some kind, you're not leveraging your savings dollars to their maximum potential. And that's just one little shift that you can do. Well, it's also kind
0: of illustrating the point about if we're only focusing on our debt, all of our financial efforts are backward focusing. Instead of with savings, part of it is just like an emotional cue to to move toward the future, to move toward our excitement, to move toward our values and our goals. This thing that came up for Elaine is that she's actually made a lot of progress on paying down her debt, and it's been really incredible. She had $100,000 in loans, and she can see the light at the end of the tunnel a few years out. But what she describes now is this constant anxiety around having enough for the future. So how do we start to move forward and let those
2: feelings of anxiety go? Well, I think Elaine has done amazing to pay off $60,000 worth of student loan debt. That is awesome. Um, Is she at zero yet? No, but she's made tremendous progress and I really would applaud her. And maybe sometimes it's just hearing and knowing and understanding either from a financial expert or from others that what she's accomplished thus far at the age of 29 is really quite impressive. I mean, I wish that I had done (laughs) like she did. I took forever to pay off my student loans and I had considerably less. I had $40,000 versus her $100,000. I share about my own past that I went through a divorce and that I had to pay my ex alimony and child support. And so because I happen to be a positive, optimistic, glass half full kind of person, I frame it in the context of overcoming and going past obstacles and things of that nature. And so I do tell people the point of awareness is uh, really crucial upfront to recognize like, Elaine, girl, you're kicking butt.
0: Whether you're at the start of your debt repayment journey and just trying to figure out how to get started, or like Elaine, managing the anxiety of the precarious balance between saving for the future while working to pay down your past debt, It's critical to remember these truths. You are not your debt. Your net worth does not dictate your self-worth. Where you stand today is not permanent and it does not control where you can go in the future. And you are most certainly not alone. While debt does not have to be forever, it's hard to make a plan to pay off your debt until you know exactly how much of it you owe. So if you haven't already, take stock of exactly what you owe, to whom, your minimum monthly payments, and your interest rate for each of your debts. Once you have all of that information, you can better consider all of your repayment plan options. Putting together a concrete step-by-step plan for your debt repayment based on things you can control and what plan works best for you can help you live your life empowered and excited about your future instead of feeling trapped by your past debt. Remember that the process of debt repayment and saving for the future or the things you wanna do in the present or even just your own happiness and peace of mind do not need to be mutually exclusive. While debt can undoubtedly be an emotional and a financial burden, we can acknowledge and celebrate every step of progress we make and learn to take full satisfaction in the lives we're building alongside our debt repayment journey, knowing that our lives today are just as valuable and worthy as life after debt freedom. This has been Money Confidential from Real Simple, If, like Elaine, you have a money secret you've been struggling to share, you can send me an email at money.confidential at realsimple.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at 929-352-4106. Money Confidential is produced by Mickey O'Connor, Heather Morgan Schott, and me, Stephanie O'Connell Rodriguez. Thanks to our production team at Pod People, Rachel King, Matt Saab, Danielle Roth, Chris Browning, and Trey Boudin. If you like what you hear, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or telling your friends about Money Confidential. Real Simple is based in New York City. You can find us online at realsimple.com and subscribe to our print publication by searching for Real Simple at www.magazine.store. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next week.